0: Listen to God's word from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'll start this reading back in verse 4 as there's something of a flow of thought that goes forward here. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which also which they also were appointed. Now our text for today, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We use the word community to speak about who we are together. It's a concept that is understandable kind of across the board, whether believer or non-believer. Our culture resonates with the concept because it expresses a basic human need to have a a group, a a band of brothers or a sisterhood where where you are bound together to pursue a common good. There are different ways that we satisfy this need. There are families, there are clubs, there are study groups, and lots of other things like that. But my interest today is to see how God has provided for that basic human need, that need to belong. And it starts with belonging to God, because in Jesus we become part of his kingdom, we are accepted by him, accepted in the beloved. We started to consider this last week in the earlier verses there, starting at verse 4, where it says, we come to Jesus, we are built up in him, who is the living stone. So we belong to God through Jesus Christ. But as we are united to him, we are also united to one another. And Paul goes on to meditate on the blessings of belonging, the blessings of belonging to God and to each other. It's that that I direct your attention to today, the blessings and the benefits of Belonging. Peter uses several words that are full of meaning and full of benefits. And I'm just going to walk through these to describe how through Jesus you have certain benefits of belonging to him and belonging to each other. He starts with the concept or with the phrase that you are a chosen generation. Now, as I've been preaching through this letter that Peter sent. I've called your attention to those who first received the letter. I want you to put yourself in their shoes for just a minute and think about how important this would have been for them to hear. Remember that they were people who were scattered by persecution, that they were often despised by family, by friends, and by the community in which they lived. If they were Jews, when they accepted Jesus and began to follow after them, many of them were disowned by their family. They were cast out of the synagogue. And so they became, uh, they became outsiders to that very intimate fellowship that they shared with their Jewish family and Jewish community. Well, the same could be said about those who were Gentiles. Because there was a certain accepted religious practice wherever they lived. It wasn't the one true God, but they did offer sacrifices to the socially acceptable religious norms of their communities. The idols to Diana and to the other false gods of their days. And when they didn't participate in that, they too became outsiders Outcasts. So earlier, Peter had called them uh, called them pilgrims in this world. They didn't fit in because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, you might have a similar experience in your own life today as well. And I would urge you to think of not just those who originally received this letter but think about your own reception of this letter and how Peter, uh, or more rightly, how God calls you a chosen generation. You too can take comfort in the fact that you are a citizen of heaven and therefore a pilgrim in this world. Now, the pilgrim journey is still hard, it isn't easy to be outsiders in our normal uh, families or in, in our workplace or in our neighborhoods. Maybe you've experienced that, that as you have followed after Jesus Christ, that there is a distancing from, from family members that are unbelievers. Maybe they shake their head at you. Maybe they laugh and scoff at you. Maybe they become angry at you and think of you as one that is, is even dead to them. They just have no desire to associate with you. Or even in your, or as you think of your workplaces, as your practices stand out as different, that you do become something of an outsider. The pilgrim journey is still hard. But, you are a chosen generation, a chosen people. And here Peter just drops in the term chosen without any definition. And it's a, it's a word that is is jam-packed with meaning. I like to look at the rest of Scripture to help inform us, and Peter kind of leans that direction. Because the rest of the Scripture tells us that God has indeed chosen a people to belong to him. If you read through the Old Testament, it is rich with that idea of the Lord calling a people out to belong to him. And the same thing goes for today, that the Lord chooses a people to belong to him. And his choice isn't based on anything good that you have done in and of yourself. It's not like God went searching for someone who is lovable to bring into his own family. No, his love is greater than that, in that he went and he searched for those who were lost, and he has sovereignly placed his love on you. And because of that, you are now lovely. To know that God loves you is one of the most precious truths of the Christian life. It does indeed give you a sense of, of belonging, a sense of being loved and accepted by God. And I want you to, to meditate on that today, to meditate on the truth that being chosen means that you belong to God. I say that because that choice addresses that pressing problem that we all face. We all understand that we are sinners, that we are people living in darkness, that we loved that darkness, and yet God has made a way for sinners to come to him. He's made a way for you to come to him. We can't do that in and of ourselves. You need someone to save you. That's what God has done in Christ. He sent his son to die on the the cross to save his children from their deadness, to save you from your bondage to sin and to Satan. He has saved you as well, not only to himself, but he has saved you into a family of God. There's a corporate aspect to this salvation. In fact, all of the ways that Peter describes you Have a collective sense to them. Now you need to understand that your salvation is personal and individual, but catch today the corporate way or the collective way that your salvation is put into effect. God brings you into His family, His family of faith. You belong to Him and you belong to a new community of fellow believers. And in this case, I want you to think and apply it in a way that has an outward-looking focus. There's a reason for that that will come later in these, in these verses. But uh, But think about how sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses that fundamental longing of mankind to belong. There's a longing to belong to God. Our conscience pricks us, and without Christ we know that that we are not right with God. And The gospel addresses that idea of belonging to him. There's also an offer of the gospel that invites into the belonging of the people of God. That's part of the light that is shared, that that longing to be part of a band of brothers or a sisterhood is offered in the goodness of the gospel. I want to invite you to pray for that, to pray that in our congregation that the Lord would bring salvation to men and women around us, that they would come to believe in Jesus, to belong to him. And see the light of belonging to the people of God as well. Something that we can pray for and hold out as part of the good news saving faith. The second aspect that Peter brings up is that we are a royal priesthood. He has already introduced this idea in the earlier verses, verse 5. In Christ, you and every believer are priests. You each offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Remember I said last week that that doesn't mean animal sacrifices. Jesus has offered up himself as the once for all sacrifice. What that means is that now you offer up yourself. You offer up your God given gifts to the Lord. They, they and you are a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, Romans 12.1. And I hope you uh, can catch how stunning these words are that Peter speaks. Once again, put yourself in the shoes of the, those first readers of the letter. Many of them were Jews. And for the Jews in Peter's day, only the Levites, and of the Levites, only the priests could serve in the temple Only the priests would eat the bread of the table of God's presence. Only the priests would go behind the curtains to worship with God. But that wasn't the way it was meant to be. God designed mankind to live in harmony with him. It's described in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve before sin entered. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. They enjoyed this sweet friendship and fellowship with God. It was not marred by sin. Well, sin did enter the world. And sin destroyed the fellowship that we have with God. But the Lord has provided a way that we might have fellowship with him. By Jesus' priesthood, God has made you to be a royal priesthood. You too are priests and fellowship and worship God, mediated only by the Savior Jesus Christ. Now that might be confusing to you in the sense that, uh, that there is a prominence of a pastor and of elders in a church, but I want you to understand that I am not your mediator. I'm a servant given by God to preach to you, to pray for you, to teach. The other elders are there to serve. They are not your mediators. Jesus is your mediator. And you all are priests, the eyes of the Lord, blessed by Christ. And not only are you priests, but you're also a royal priest. And royal has in mind the office of the king. In Christ, you are now also royals. (laughs) You are kings and queens in God's kingdom. You are renewed by Jesus Christ and that God has placed you and renewed in you the the ability to steward the creation around you, to serve in this world and in society. It's something that was broken by sin, is now renewed and restored to you as believers in, in Jesus Christ. Now, it is always still marred. We are still one to wrestle with sin. But nevertheless, God has lifted you up to, to live in his glory. He has lifted you up to be royal priests, both individually and corporately. And there's that uh, there's that theme of community that comes through in this passage once more because Peter uses a collective term again you are a royal priesthood and that's plural well, that leads us to pray and to look for ways that you might use your gifts to the uh, to the betterment or to the service of the body of Christ and to the world around you it leads us to become aware of each other's gifts to uh, to nurture them So that each part of the body of Christ works together, supplying what God has equipped you to supply. I would urge you to pray for this and to think of praying for each other as one of the privileges of the priesthood. That you offer up to God your prayers for the body of Christ, for your brothers and sisters. That's part of the priesthood, to intercede for one another. You can put in practice the priesthood of the believers by praying for each other. And think of serving one another as one of the privileges of being royal. God has placed you in a position to use your gifts for him and for his people. So pray for one another and look for ways to serve and to support each other. Thirdly, you're a holy nation. Once more, a stunning statement of the benefits of belonging to Christ. We are a holy nation, and it's stunning for a couple of reasons. First, think of Peter writing to those pilgrims, that audience of believers, that now included a a wide diversity of nationalities. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord was... Extending his good news, extending his kingdom through the Jewish nation, through the, the children of Israel. It was to embrace more than that, but the channel was, was through the children of Israel. But that's uh, now changed because of Jesus Christ that uh, very clearly embraces those who are both Jews and Gentiles. And I want you to remember that Peter had to learn this lesson. For the Jews, this was ingrained in them, that, uh, that the Gentiles were thought of as unclean. They were special rules to govern their relationships. But in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. God brings them all together under faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. You remember how Peter learned this? Well, the Lord sent him to a Gentile for salvation. And to help him to know what this meant, to help him to know that this was okay, gave him a vision. A vision of of a sheet being let down from heaven. It's hard to picture, but, but somehow a sheet let down from heaven... Filled with all kinds of animals. Both the clean and the unclean animals. The Old Testament, the Jews could eat of, of only the clean animals. But now, God showed him all kinds of animals and he said, kill and eat. Peter's like, I can't, not so, Lord. These are the unclean. I can't eat those animals. He said, what I have made clean, you may eat. They are clean indeed. Then he sent him to Cornelius, a Roman, who was unclean except in Christ. Now and that's what God has gathered together. Peter went; he preached the good news to to Cornelius. He entered his home. He told. Cornelius and his family of, of Jesus Christ. And then he baptized them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and into the community of faith. You are a holy nation. The second reason this is stunning is that is the word holy. You belong to God. You are set up apart from sin and its power. You are set apart to belong to him. And belonging to God gives you a new nature. He saves you, yes, from sin's penalty, but also its power. And you have a new citizenship in heaven and a new way of living because of the spirit of God that dwells in you. So this idea of being a holy nation then enables you to pursue that holiness and the strength of Christ, and to pursue it together with your brothers and sisters. It unites you with those of a variety of nationalities, because we are all one in Jesus Christ. And it unites you with a variety of 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 those who are in different levels of maturity of your faith. It leads you to be patient with those who are still learning what it means to be a Christian and how to, how to live that out. And it also gives you attention to seek help as you learn to walk with Christ. It gives you humility to understand that you still sin as well. You're pursuing a holiness that comes from God, both individually and corporately. Fourthly, you are his own special people. Once you were not a people, says Peter in verse 10, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. His own special people. I actually like the way the New American Standard translates this. He says, you are a people of God's own possession." That word possession is is a primary uh, way of translating that word. It carries the idea of purchasing something for yourself, which is just what Jesus did, right? Jesus bought you with his blood. He redeemed you. In Acts 20, Paul calls the elders of the church to shepherd the church of God Which he purchased with his own blood. It's the same word. You are a people which God has purchased. I read from Isaiah 43 for this reason. There it said, God says, you are precious in my sight. I have loved you. Therefore I give men for you. I have bought you back. And what a comfort that is, this is for believers in every age. No matter your condition in this world of woe, you are precious to God. He has redeemed you, purchasing you with his own blood. And we now follow Christ's example. We learn to not only appreciate what we have received, but we learn to honor one another because of Christ's love for us and for each other. We learn to follow the many places in Scripture that use the phrase, one another. You can look this up and see this in Scripture or look up that phrase in a a Bible concordance. You'll find the phrase, love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Put others' interests before yours. Forgive one another. And so on. The list is a long list that demonstrates the preciousness of each other in Christ. We follow that example in being a precious people, a people of his own possession. And finally, we are a people of praise. Verse 9 has this phrase in it, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now this is something of a purpose clause. Jesus has drawn us to himself and he has drawn us together for a purpose. That we individually and we together might praise and worship him. You might think of this this drawing of the Lord, of his choosing, as, as if God was collecting a bunch of oddities to put into a museum behind a glass case. Look at this basket of misfits that we have here. But instead, that's not what God's purpose is. He, he has chosen you, he has loved you, he has purposed you, uh, purchased you for a purpose that you might indeed praise him and worship him. Why? Because he has drawn you out of darkness into this marvelous light. That phrase in and of itself you you could meditate on for days. Think of the darkness that you were in before you were converted. Think of loving that darkness loving your sins and pursuing them wholeheartedly. But God has changed you from that. He has brought you into the light of his gospel, the light of salvation in a way that has convicted you of sin and has changed your heart. And so now, instead of being a people who did not receive mercy, You are a people who have received mercy. That means instead of being a people who are doomed to die, doomed to everlasting judgment by God, you are now God's chosen, loved people. That you may praise him forever and ever. That he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. That he has delivered you from the punishment of hell. Forever and ever, he has delivered you. He is worthy of praise, and take note that you proclaim that praise. And here's what I mentioned earlier: that there's a purpose here that is God-oriented. We do praise him for what we've received, but there's also an element of this that is outwardly focused, and that's part of God's purpose that we would exist to the proclamation of the glory of God who saves sinners. You get that? That's part of the purpose that he gives to you. Part of the purpose that he has renewed in you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. The following verses are going to build on this idea. And you can see it even here that, your life, your values, your words, your concern for each other, your love for one another, the way you are interested in the community of faith and the community of the world around you, all of these things, all of who you are, all of what you do proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It all proclaims that there is a way of salvation, that there is a Savior out of that darkness in which you live. And I pray for this, that God would make the light of the gospel shine in us as a way to honor God and as a testimony to this community that there is a Savior, that there is a way of escape, that there's meaning to life, that there's hope for everlasting life. And we proclaim that to a people who are living in darkness. Deep down, the world knows that they need this. The light of Christ shines in you, individually and as a church. I invite you to pray with me that God would make our lives shine in a way that beckons people to come to Christ. They sense that longing of belonging. They sense that need. Let's proclaim it. Let's pray that the gospel would bear fruit in our community, that men and women and children would come to believe in Jesus Christ and so belong to him, belong to his church. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Besides me there is no Savior. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have called us to to grace, that you have called us to your eternal glory in Christ Jesus. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would worship and praise you individually and as a church, and that that would be a proclamation to those around us. In Jesus' name, Amen. turn to sing in response to this, Psalm 48, Selection C. You'll notice that there are people who walk around and can see what God has done, that he is a great God, and that we are his people. Living stones built up on on the cross of Christ. Stand and sing Psalm 48, Selection C.